This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's Saturday and it's 5 o'clock and it's time for Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Maroki Tong, and I should wish Andre Pru a super belated Father's Day. Right, Andre? You know, I guess it's the, the challenge of a show that airs on a Saturday was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I celebrated my first Father's Day last Sunday. Congrats. Thank you. I, How does it feel? I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit strange. Just, uh, I, I, <laughs> well, because, <laughs> you know, well, first off, I, I was I was given some very nice gifts uh, from my wife as my brand new baby girl is not able to procure gifts yet and from some family members. And it was just, I, I just, you know, I guess I didn't really remember that Father's Day involved gift giving, you know. Remembering that I have given my father gifts one. over the years. Yeah, now you're on the recipient side. Did, did did your wife do the whole like this is actually for me? Uh no, I think like, we I, I know from I know from Mother's Day, like uh, one of my one of uh, my partner's cousins like um said that she's like, Oh yeah, I got I got like a spa gift from my newborn baby daughter. She gifted it to me, like just kind of tongue in cheek. Right. No, we didn't even put on the, the charade. The the gifts that I got from uh, from my wife were a couple of um, children's books that I'll be able to read with Baby Spencer. <laughs> right. It's so it's a, it's the duality gift. It actually yeah. um, makes life better for the household, I suppose, for you <laughs> personally. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And the reason that uh, I wanted to bring up Father's Day was uh, when we were preparing for the show, it kind of clued into me that um, the gift I got my father-in-law uh, for his, for Father's Day slash birthday, like I guess I know it's kind of crappy when you combine like two gifts into one, but I got him a brand new uh, kitchen knife from a really uh, well-known store in Paris called E. Uh, de Hellerin, where I've actually purchased quite a few knives there myself over my life. And I thought I would talk to you about... Um, whether you have a favorite tool that you use in the kitchen, Maroki, knowing that you don't cook a whole lot. <laughs> a favorite tool in the kitchen. Um, honestly, I'm trying to think about it. I'm probably not the right person to ask this. Eric might be, <laughs> but I do know there's a couple of things. I'm a little bit persnickety about my cutting boards. Like when I cut things on a cutting board, I definitely am very particular about the kind of texture and the material I'm using. Not so much as in, like, I think, uh, I think there's people who have rules. Like I know there's people who like only have only meat cutting boards and it has to be plastic and on pour so they don't get like meat juices in it. Some people have thoughts about wooden cutting boards or, you know, different types or even the different types of wood. I know my um, brother has got a beautiful new chef's knife and it came and like, it came with a cutting board, like really specific to it. Cause I guess the material of the wood um, reduces like damage to the knife or, or at least dulling the knife, something, something, you know, rules like that. And I'm not that particular about that. I'm more particular is just like, you know what? Like I just want the knife to feel a certain way when it hits the board and I wanted to hold my food in a certain way. That would probably be the big one. I would say the other one that used to be a big staple in my household, honestly, um, I guess this is less of a kitchen tool, but a really big thing in a lot of Asian kitchens is a hot water dispenser. Hot water dispenser. Wait, 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 wait. Before we get the hot water dispenser, you said specific cutting board, but you never said what type of cutting board it is that you have an affinity towards. I think I have a personal affinity to plastic cutting boards. Plastic, okay. Um, but 
yeah, the plastic, but it has to be like a very I can't even describe it to you. It has to be very, very non-porous. Yes. Um, very, very like tough. And I I like them thinner. Like I don't want like a big thick cutting board. There's no need. It doesn't make sense to me why a cutting board should be thick, given that it's not like necessarily trying to roll like roll things off or anything. And I'd like it to have a little bit of a ridge around it so that if there are juices or things rolling off, at least it can catch it on the way down. That sounds like a great tool for the kitchen. I'm I'm a little bit particular with my cutting boards as well, but more it's out of stubbornness. We're at the point where uh, my wife Anya is uh, starting to casually replace the cutting boards in the kitchen because I have one where it's just like <laughs> it's been burned and scorched a couple of places. Anyways, you also said hot water dispenser in Asian kitchens. What do you use a hot water dispenser for? <laughs> and how's it different well, from just I mean, a tap? How's it different from a tap? Well, a tap is just hot. Okay, a boiling hot water dispenser. Okay. Is it for making tea or for like, I mean, I guess it would save a lot of time in the kitchen. Tea making soup. If you want to like warm up, if you if you are making instant miso or if you have congee that you don't really feel like heating up and it maybe has congealed because it's losing water, you just put some hot water into it and you stir it up and instantly you have congee again. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I, we do use it for tea, too. <laughs> oh, I got you. I got you. Yeah, I, I know for me, it's just um, like my favorite kitchen tools in, in my own kitchen are also just my variety of knives. I have a handful of different uh, 8 inch and 10 inch chef's knives. And it's one of the things where uh, when I was dating my wife before we were married, um, she was appalled at the knives I were I was using previously to do a lot of cooking in the kitchen like we've talked on the show before about how much i love cooking and uh i purchased some knives from some discounters that may have even been like dollarama knives and uh her reaction was something along the lines of oh god no when she saw what knives i was using in the kitchen and when i eventually started upgrading them the thing about having great tools in the kitchen is it does make your life a lot easier and i never realized how much of a difference having a good chef's knife is so like if you're someone in the car like humming and hawing and and you know really enjoy cooking and are trying to find a way to step up your game, I cannot recommend enough making sure that you've got great cooking knives to work with, which is why we bought my father-in-law who has some cooking knives that I think are older than me and my wife's age combined that are not in great shape. Um, we were just happy to help him begin to upgrade his kitchen. Here's a question I have for you. Have you seen those memes online where they say, you know, you can have a fancy knife that is dull and um, a cheap knife that is well sharpened and clearly what matters more that is that the knife is sharp versus having the fanciest knife in the block, I guess was sort of the moral of the story of those like short videos and memes. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that if someone has a cheap knife that then the least they could invest in is a sharpener so that they can have a nice sharp knife that can perform the tasks in the kitchen versus buying the nicest knife in the store? Oh, 100%. And I mean, the knives that I have in my kitchen, I love them. They, they definitely cost more than what you'd be able to get at Canadian Tire or Walmart, but they aren't like $500 knives. Um, I, I'm a big fan of French knives because they're a harder steel, so they stay sharp longer. But like what you're saying is completely true. If you have a $500 beautiful, you know, with lots of folds in it, handmade Japanese knife, if you don't take care of it, it's just a decorative piece of metal in your kitchen. You need to sharpen it. You need to take care of it. Don't put it in the dishwasher, hand wash it, like take care of that. And I mean, 
Uh, have you ever seen the movie Chef? Like the John Favreau movie that he made, I guess, about yeah. 10 years ago now? Do you remember when he buys his little boy the knife in that and just talks about how important that tool is in the kitchen? Yes. And if you remember, like, the specific knife that he gave him, it was like, you know, like a six-inch basic knife with, like, a plastic handle. But, like, basically he tells his son, if you take care of this, it will serve you well. And, like, that that's it. Buy a decent knife that isn't from Dollarama and keep it sharp <laughs> and take care of it and you'll be good to go. I know I've kind of taken, you I know, was hoping to talk about other kitchen gadgets, but this has kind of become the uh, Andre telling everyone in the car to go buy better knives segment. <laughs> well, it's funny that, uh, you know, you started with talking about Dollarama knives because I'm pretty sure Eric's knives when we first started dating were also Dollarama knives or <laughs> Dollarama adjacent. And I think it got like there was at one point a few years ago. I also I hate it. So even if I have a Dollarama knife, I'm never inclined to throw it away as long as it's still functioning. But I basically was getting to a point that the knife was starting to come off the handle and would shift every single time we used it. Oh, so it's and a I dangerous. think eventually... <laughs> Yeah, eventually I kind of sat there one day and slowly wiggled it out of the handle and then folded it up, wrapped it a million times in paper and plastic to get thrown in the garbage because I it was finally reached that time. All right. Well, coming up after the break, uh, we've got someone really um, inspirational joining us. I know it's really popular to kind of crap on the young generation and how lazy they are and not, how not hard they're working. But we're about to meet a Humber College student who is going to be doing her part to make sure that the hospitality industry stays healthy. And that's something you and I talk about a lot. I'm always so impressed by the people who are just doing so much while in school because it just shows the passion they have to a particular industry. So stick around. We're going to be chatting with them after the break on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm Andre Pru, joined as always by Maroki Tong. And Maroki, we've talked quite a bit on the show just about the state of hospitality. I know we've shot, fired some shots towards the government about how little they have done to really help restaurants recover post-pandemic. And we're still seeing news stories about that popping up. But we've got a bit of a good news story taking place right now. I think we could always use some good news, Andre, when we're talking about the industry, because I think while we are making, you know, some strides and taking a couple of steps forward, I always feel like we're taking a step backward when I hear about one new, one other disappointing thing in the industry. <laughs> I know with Father's Day having yeah. just passed, it's always um, like Mother's Day, such a difficult time uh, for a lot of restaurants when there's all these like cancellations or just no shows. And it, you know, just kind of makes me you know, take what is supposed to be a pretty happy day and makes me a little bit grumpy. So I'm ready for some good news, Andre. You know, I'm always a fan of when people can take a bit of power back themselves and try to find the solutions to problems from within instead of waiting for someone else to do that. And we're joined by a student from Humber College, the Hotel and Restaurant Operations Program, Jessica Carrera Urzua. Did I say your name correctly, Jessica? Yes, you did. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what exactly you're doing to do your part to make sure that the hospitality industry is happy, healthy, and thriving? Yeah, for sure. So what I've been doing is I've been connecting with people in the industry. I'm doing a lot of networking, and that's because I want to see everyone succeed in the field. A lot of our students in the program are currently international students, so they do find it a, like a struggle to have uh, connections and finding jobs because sometimes they feel like language is a big barrier for them or they feel like they won't succeed. Um, so what I've been doing is connecting them with these leaders out in the industry and get and getting them to 
reach out to these students and mentor them. So um, I started work, work connecting with OHI, um, which is the Ontario Hostillery Institute. And what they do is they basically have coaches to coach and mentor students from elementary school, high school, and post-secondary. We want students to succeed. We want people to succeed in the hospitality field. And I feel like it all starts off with the current leaders in the field. That's super cool. And you know, I, it's, I really love the, like that you brought up the fact that they're working with a lot of international students. Um, I know even, so Chinese is my first language, Cantonese is my first language, but I'm fluent in English and I talk a lot about wine. And even though I know a lot about wine, I actually, even as someone who is a Canadian, you know, Canadian Chinese, I literally cannot talk about wine in Chinese because of just the amount of technical language that is involved. So even if you're coming from another country and English is not your first language, uh, not, and you can learn the language, but then the, all the technical terms are incredibly difficult to pick up and because they're so specific to the industry. Now, Jessica, I'm, you know, you're you're doing this program, and you are a student at Humber College. Clearly, you have a massive passion for hospitality to be balancing the juggling act of all the schoolwork and being a part of OHI as well. So, can you tell us a little bit about why you? uh got started like what what inspired you to decide i'm going to go into this industry called hospitality and then do the amount of work that i'm doing in the field yeah so i started off in the hospitality field back in high school where i had to choose a co-op i just chose something that was easy I'll, I'll just do a restaurant i think that's pretty easy so <laughs> <laughs> i got into working in a greek restaurant and i was a prep cook I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the connections I was building with the staff that they really loved the personality that I brought into the restaurant and they put me front of house. That made me like, okay, this is a game changer. I love this industry. I love talking to people. I love connecting because no matter where you come from, what language you speak, like a smile always tells you like, gives you like the warmth and it makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel welcome no matter what language you speak. So um, I continued with that for the last 10 years. And from there, I just took what I can, built as much knowledge. And after COVID hit, I really wanted to go back to school because I wanted to kind of create, not like maybe like an empire of having people <sighs> learn basic skills. Basic skills, like especially because I come from a family of immigrants. And a lot of the times, um, the first generation, they don't get an opportunity to go into school. Sometimes they have to take care of their family. So I wanted to be able to change that and give people opportunities who feel like they don't get that opportunity, especially people who are immigrants, people who um, are in low income areas or people who just don't believe in themselves. So this is what's keeping me motivated and keeping me push, like pushing every single day. I don't care how tired I am at the end of the day. As long as I could help at least one person change their lives, then that's the main goal. I love that using the words building an empire. That is ambition if I've ever heard it. You've talked a bit about I also feel called out on basic skills because uh I'm the one who does not spend time in the kitchen. So are you like <laughs> did you did you do research and what and, and see me like rant about how bad my knife cuts are? <laughs> no, it's okay. Everyone starts somewhere. Just remember that. Everyone starts somewhere. <laughs> now you you've talked about um how you're reaching out to mentors and, and leaders in the industry hoping that they're going to step up and help mentor the next generation. Um, who are some of the mentors that you have working for you now? Like, obviously, there are some very well-known chefs in the in the city and in the GTA. So any big names that are helping to mentor the students? 
so right now we're still working on building that we do know a lot of people who work for the like the bigger branch um orma which is the ontario restaurant hotel motel association we have a lot of people who come in and work from there like big chefs um a lot of chefs that you could see as the judges and master chefs like master chef canada um but we also have a lot of instructors as well this is why we are like looking for more coaches doesn't matter if you're a chef, doesn't matter if you're a restaurateur, if you work in the tourism, we're looking for more people to come and support the students because they love this industry and we want them to show how much they feel passionate about this industry to the others that we could get into this field. I think that's fantastic. Uh, definitely a call out. I know that there are some chefs who listen to this show. So if chefs are listening to the show, how can they get in touch with you to join this program and become a mentor to uh to the next generation in the industry so they could go on the website we are ohi and fill out a form and indicate that you want to be a coach and what kind of um where's your field you could put food and beverage hotels whichever option you feel is more you're more comfortable with you could put that information there you could also um reach out um if you want to connect with me on linkedin i can connect you with our our head fatima who runs ohi like a dream so you can connect with her so um it's we are ohi.ca that's so wonderful jessica and as we wrap up this segment i feel like since you talk about all the amazing work you're doing at ohi and the fact that you are helping empower all these young cooks and chefs and aspiring chefs and connecting them with mentors what are your dreams when you're finished at Humber College? Like, where do you want to be in hospitality? I know you talked about your joy of being in front of house. You've talked about the passion that you have. What, where do you see yourself in the, in the five, 10 years coming down the line after school is over and you are out pursuing your dreams too? Um, I, I want to be a teacher. I want to teach whatever I can. I want to teach culinary or um, anything in hospitality, customer service, leadership. I, I just want to, teach i think teaching is the best thing to get people to feel comfortable in their own skin and to get them to feel confident in what they do and i i feel like i want to do that for sure that is really inspiring and maroki you realize after asking the job interview question you're gonna have to hire her after this <laughs> she can teach me how to do my knife cuts better is probably what would be happening it would be hopefully either uh, either the easiest job or the hardest job you've ever had in your life watching me like resist being in the kitchen in any way, shape, or form. I, 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 you know what? I don't give myself enough credit. I can cook. I just really don't enjoy cooking. And my partner, Eric, <laughs> loves cooking. So I will send Eric into your schoolhouse and you can improve his uh, culinary <laughs> skills for us. How about that? It, it, I could teach, like, I, I teach eight year olds how to cut and I could teach, I think I could teach anyone. I think you got this. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Carrera Urzua, hotel and restaurant operations at Humber College student, uh, helping with OHI, the Ontario Hostelry Institute, uh, helping to keep hospitality healthy. Thank you so much for giving us the time. You're welcome. Speaking of hospitality, coming up after the break, we actually are going to have the interview to chat with another member of the hospitality industry who has had many, many years of experiences in the field and is now starting his own venture. It's exciting to hear when uh, creative chefs are starting their own thing. That's coming up after the break on 640 Toronto. This is Tasting Together. You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's News. Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. 
Well, tonight on 640 Toronto on Tasting Together, I'm Roki Tong, joined with Andre Pruer, going to look at spicing some things up with this upcoming segment. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, our next guest is, uh, you know, full disclosure, a good friend of mine, but also a very talented chef. And when you're talking about spicing things up, that is an understatement. Uh, he has recently started making some hot sauce. And I had a situation where um, I love hot foods. Maroki, like we've talked about that on the show before. Yes. Um, he has a sauce called Level Up, and I know I'm kind of burying the lead a little bit, but I just wanted to share the story before we get into the full interview about what he's up to. Uh, my wife broke the lid on it, so we couldn't put it back in the fridge, and I basically used what was left in the bottle on some tacos that I had made. And the night ended with me and my mouth under the tap of the kitchen sink, rinsing my tongue off. I know everyone's just like, oh, just have a cup of milk if you eat something spicy. Trust me, there was no amount of milk on the planet that would uh, save my tongue that night. Actually, <laughs> bread works better if you get like sort of anything uh, that can absorb the oils <laughs> will, will help. But well, we have an intro point, to you yet. We have an intro to you yet. Hang on. Yeah, this is yeah, I love no, 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 I love this. I love this, guys. This is what happens when you have someone who's a friend who comes because he's ready to give you all the advice right away. And what a way to introduce Chef Darren to the to the show um, by then by giving us advice on how to not kill ourselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> Chef Darren Engbers, you are. Uh, Formerly or, or almost out the door with the Ascari Hospitality Group, fantastic restaurant group that did great things during the pandemic, uh, you know, worked really hard to make sure that uh, their chefs got to keep working on top of the fact that their food is just fantastic. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, Darren, I guess to start things out, why don't you give us uh, the elevator pitch? Uh, who are you and where do you come from? Uh, well, thanks, Andre. Thanks, Maroki. Appreciate you guys having me on. Um, well, I've been cooking for 32 years now, uh, started as a wee lad at Earl's in Edmonton, uh, and, uh, kind of never left. Um, it was only meant to be a summer job and that was 32 years ago and here we are still, but you know, my, as you grow as a chef, your passions change and your, your ideas change about what you want to do. And like most chefs, I wanted to do like the super high end fine dining, the French laundry, the bears de pommiers and that sort of thing and i've done those but i realized that i want my food to be a bit more accessible to the average person and what's more accessible than burning your tongue <laughs> that's right you're uh you're looking to start the new chapter in your career um by launching your business uh je fringal yep yep uh so je Fr uh, fringal is a basque word that means uh to be famished like i'm very hungry and what better way to sort of fix that hunger by feeding people some some great food and sometimes laced with hot sauces. But, you know, part of Fringal will also be, you know, more than hot sauces will be caterings and events and pop-ups and that sort of thing. I love that. And I, I, I find it, maybe you can kind of help us find the intersection between clearly started in some ways as the hot sauce, you have a product that is available and you are launching an Indiegogo campaign to help offset some of the startup costs. Because as you know, I think Andre and I have to kind of talked at length over and over and over again on the show, restaurant industry, hospitality is, is, is not for the faint hearted. It requires a lot of work and you are kind of striking out on your own. You're creating the hot sauces and how does like when you're looking at creating this catering site that you discussed, so this is actually new news to me that you're looking at creating a catering arm. Are you going to find a way to interweave your hot sauces into that side of the business? Or are you kind of seeing them as almost two separate businesses that you're going to operate? Well, I think there's, there's lots of room to have both. I don't know that 
every dish I need to or need or want to do needs to be spicy. Um, but you look at something like the Ancaster Twilight Market, where I'll be uh, vending there, and you know one of the dishes will be a, a spicy beef cheek taco. So in that sort of case, I can use the the hot sauce to sort of accentuate the foods. Uh, but last uh, last weekend, I catered a wedding for fifty people, and I only used I used my green sauce in one dish out of the five, and. You know, I think that there's a balance there that has to be struck. You can't just have everything spicy because not everybody can handle it. So I, I guess why why hot sauces? Um, like so many other things I do, it started as a lark. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine that owns uh, a really great ice cream shop, and we were talking about you know just just talking about the industry. He's like, you know, you should put something in the store. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't really do anything. But I realized that I'd been messing around with some peppers and I had this great batch of the original Level Up sauce, which was made with chocolate ghost, chocolate habaneros, blueberries, and cognac. And it was nice and it was spicy, uh, but I didn't have a ton of it. And those peppers are really hard to get. So I need to come up with something that was a bit more commercial or commercially available. Uh, so we redid Level Up to, um, to something with apricots, oranges, sorry, Apricots, rosemary, fennel, and then regular habanero and regular ghost peppers. Um, you know, and that sold pretty well. And it went from there, it was like, well, let's get another sauce going. And what else can we do with these products to make it work? Uh, which led me to my third sauce, which is a spicy maple syrup. I, I want to dig a little bit into your choice to kind of go through the crowdfunding model to start your business. Was there, you know, there's so many different ways that people can seek funding when it comes to starting a business. Either it is you know, uh, working a job and then trying to funnel some of that into starting your business, the crowdfunding model, looking for investors. What what was your sort of um, rationale for moving this particular route so that, you know, let's say other fellow young chefs or other people in the restaurant industry looking to strike out on their own can get a little bit of inspiration from you? I mean, unfortunately, not being born as Batman makes things a little bit more financially challenging. But I think, you know, part of it is I want to have a bit of an easier summer. The last six years have been kind of a full run and you know the chance to pick and choose what i want to do with the summer will uh the the indiegogo will help um i've been accepted to a food festival so there's like fees for that i have to rent kitchen space uh you know i do need a vehicle to sort of get around here and there um i don't necessarily want to go straight from work into opening a restaurant so i thought we'd take sort of a slow approach so you know we started with the one hot sauce up to three now moving into phase two which is caterings and pop-ups and stuff like that but you know while i was able to sort of finance the hot sauces on my own i think that this needs just a little bit more than i have access to at the moment and just want to take that and uh that approach to uh, a small amount to help me get started it is one of the things a lot of people and this is something i i know from experience of talking to friends and even from my own experience is it is a challenge right now if you're starting a business to even get um, loans from banks, a lot of the banks and credit unions are quite risk adverse getting into business, especially hospitality with uh, what we went through with the pandemic. So that's, I, I'm sure one of the reasons why this is an interesting route to go. I'm going to give just a quick shout. It's Indiegogo.com, how you can check it out. Help me bring Fringal to life. There's So you've got a $25,000 goal. You're just under a thousand dollars as of today when we're when we're talking about this, but there's two things about the Indiegogo that I want to highlight that I think that just 
uh, are a testament to who you are as a chef and as a person. When you said you need a vehicle to get from point A to point B, you uh, very specifically mention a 2005 Volkswagen Golf, which I know <laughs> is something that you're currently borrowing from like a friend of yours that's been offered up as uh, as something you just want to sort of make right. Like you're not looking to roll around in uh, in a BMW 5 Series. Um, to, to get from point no, A to point B. No, or an Audi. Yeah, there we go. But then the other thing, too, that you have in, in bold on your page, which I think is fascinating, is that, you know, I pledge that any employee that works for Fringal Foods will be paid a living wage. And I think yeah. that in itself is one of the reasons why if uh, if you're thinking about supporting Darren here, that is one thing to look at. And you're not just asking, you're not holding your hat in hand out and offering nothing in return. If you support Darren at his Indiegogo, you get a chance to get your hands on some of his hot sauces. Your branding, you, you want to talk about your branding that was done by a friend of yours? Yeah, uh, my friends JP and Layla have a, an agency called Font Size Lies. And, um, you know, I've known them for quite a while. And we sort of started talking about this and talked about my love of video games, which is sort of where the inspiration for the first two labels came from. And a bit more of that sort of nostalgia with the maple syrup label, the spicy maple syrup. It's got like that, the look of the can and the feel of the can. And people are like, I know what I'm looking at, but I can't quite place it. And, you know, it comes back to that accessibility that I want people to like have a sort of an instant connection to what they're looking at. Absolutely. Well, and we all know the importance of, we can all be artists and just be like, they just have to come and they just have to enjoy the food. I know as people work in wine we often sometimes uh, butt heads with the fellow winemakers and they're like if the wine is good enough they'll show up and it's like yes they would but i'm pretty <laughs> sure a nice label helps just a little bit of marketing helps and i i always find that you know even as andre and i as sometimes self-professed wine snobs when it's about the quality over the smoke and mirrors we both are definitely people who buy wines by the label so why would i not be buying hot sauce by the label as well Hundred percent, Darren. I wish you all the luck on your Indiegogo campaign. If you're sitting in your car listening right now, please go check it out. It's uh, help me bring Fringal to life. Fantastic campaign. Darren is a hell of a cook, and um, thank you very much for joining the program. Appreciate you guys uh, giving me the chance to, to talk about it. And I suppose if we want to cool our palates after eating some really spicy food, coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about some of the refreshing beverages that we should be enjoying this summer. And surprise, surprise, it's not wine. That's right. Summer beer trends coming up after the break on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back. I am Andre Prude, joined by Maroki Tong. And it's the time of the show where we're joined by Global Newsroom's Danny Longo. How are you doing, Danny? I'm great. How are you guys? Great, great. And I, I think this segment's going to be fun because we are pulling off the subject of wine once again to look at other libations that we could be enjoying, enjoying during the hot weather, which is all about beer. But I guess right before we go into that, we have a little bit of a slightly newsworthy piece that we thought we would do a quick mention of. Yeah, so the um, federal and provincial government uh, issued a, a news release this week with the headline, Government Helping Grape Growers and Beekeepers Strengthen Their Businesses. Uh, the top headline is that $10 million are being invested to support sectors hit by extraordinary weather conditions. I know we've touched on that a little bit on this show is the past couple of years in Ontario, especially in Niagara, have been interesting to say the least to see what damage winter weather and then the unseasonable wet weather that we had two years ago have done to the vineyards and 
you know, it is tough to make a buck growing grapes and uh, I guess keeping bees alive in the province. So it is always interesting to see what the government's doing to help farmers out, making sure the industry is healthy. I know you and I and, and Danny were all very aware of the challenge, the level of taxation places on this industry. So, you know, when the government gives a little bit back, I'm I'm usually of the mindset it's not enough, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, it's it's I think it's great. Um, you know, these people are paying out of pocket completely themselves. But uh, yeah, I have the release here as well. The government's going to be paying up to 70% of the cost of replacing or renewing anything like grapevines uh, during droughts, heavy rain, or I guess cold snap. I'll be really fascinated in sort of what parameters that uh, farmers have to meet in order to claim some sort of reimbursement. Like they'll have to submit some sort of report that says X amount of vines have died or this amount of bees have uh, died due to extreme weather conditions. I'll be very curious to know, and I'd be curious to know if there's a cap. So this is probably something that we're going to put a pin in and possibly revisit in a week or two. We start hearing more information on a bit on it, but towards more fun things, Uh, I want to dive into summer beer. Uh, I figured no better place to go than that of the esteemed uh, beer writer, Jordan St. John, head of the beer certificate program at George Brown College editor of the growler beer magazine for ontario how are you doing jordan uh pretty well i mean esteemed is great when you get to venerable you got to go take a nap a hundred percent i i know how that feels being venerable myself um let's just dive right into this i know beer is a pretty dynamic uh product there's always something changing and going on what do you see as sort of the big trend what's hot and craft beer for ontario especially in the gta here it's an interesting time. It's not as though there's a huge number of trends happening at the moment. Oh. I think uh, the hazy beer has continued to be a, uh, a popular item. Uh, obviously, a lot of breweries are still working with that. And a number of people are working with sort of fruited sours and fruited IPAs. You're, you're looking for things at the moment that are kind of uh, a little comforting, maybe a little bit nostalgic of childhood in some ways, like there would be a Five Alive flavored fruit sour or possibly, you know, an IPA that has some kind of mango juice component to it. People like the idea of a a simple, unchallenging flavor. Do you have any breweries that you want to shout out that are maybe doing a great job at those styles, the the fruit-flavored sours or IPAs? Well, at the moment, uh, Great Lakes is doing a great job with hazy IPAs, uh, which is kind of how you... uh, It's it's weird because there's a dichotomy between actually adding puree to the thing and just deriving fruit kind of aromas from hop characters. Um, so there are a lot of modern hop varieties that do that, but there's also like Blood Brothers, for example. Uh, they've got uh, a Five Alive fruited IPA. It's a sour IPA, I believe. Uh, a lot of different challenging flavors in there, but it really just comes down to refreshing, tart, fruity kind of character. Uh, Blood Brothers, they have a second location now up in, I want to say, Fawn, uh, although it might be a little bit west of there. <laughs> I'm not great north of Bloor Street, you know. <laughs> you are definitely a city dweller city guy i know from living in the same neighborhood as you um speaking of new locations new breweries any new breweries of note that torontonians should be putting on the map to check out this summer well i'm not sure about this summer but the thing that's become very uh sort of refreshing i don't know if refreshing is great hopeful optimistic um ebullient no that's too far optimistic um Left Field is going to have a second location in Liberty Village. Bellwoods looks like they're probably going to get a third location on DuPont Street. So 
there's all this sort of stuff that's going to happen just off in the future. In the meantime, I think that breweries in the city are mostly just trying to calibrate to life after three years of pandemic and lockdown. So this is kind of the first summer where we've got unfettered patio action within the city. <laughs> that sounds like I'm promoting a wrestling pay-per-view. Unfettered patio action. I think um, everyone's ready for some uh, wrestling action if it means getting onto a patio. But thank you so much, Jordan. I really appreciate you giving us the uh, update on what's going on for beer in uh, the GTA. That's fantastic. Next time I want to do it from the traffic chopper. So, Danny Longo, do you think you can get Jordan St. John up in the traffic chopper? <laughs> I don't know if that can be arranged. It's, uh, we uh, fly out of a uh, different location. They fly out of uh, Buttonville, I believe. Yeah, so I didn't even know that was a city, but I feel like that I wouldn't before Jordan St. John gets a chance to join you on the traffic chopper. I think (laughs) I want to join you on the traffic chopper first, like us before them. Okay, I I haven't even been up in the traffic chopper. (laughs) All right. All right. Focusing on what Jordan had to say in the report there before we go completely off the rails. I always find it fascinating when we hear about things like expansion and with microbreweries expanding and I know we did the segment quite a while ago on bottle shops and looking for alternative places to purchase wine other than the LCBO. The fact that these small breweries in Toronto are expanding to second and third locations give me hope that the culture of alcohol consumption is changing, that people are starting to think of microbreweries as a viable alternative to the LCBO, and maybe we will be able to um, you know, wean ourselves off this mediocre crappy monopoly that we've got here i love the idea of uh you know smaller microbreweries expanding having multiple loca- locations is nothing but good news uh, we have the uh the he mentioned great lakes we have a brew pub close by uh the station here and you know getting to pop in there every once in a while is fantastic i i think what's fascinating is that we keep calling it smaller microbreweries right like when you t- tell me trinity bellwoods that brewery for me has long surpassed the notion of being a smaller microbrewery. And that's the same with Great Lakes. I almost feel like, or even Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. It's like they may be, let's say, uh, considered craft beer, but for me, they're hardly a microbrewery at this stage in the game. I did find it interesting. <laughs> I did find it interesting. Um, just the idea, I mean, that you were bringing up with him was like summer beers and like different things that, you know, people try out, breweries get to try out. I remember being uh, out east a couple of years ago and it's amazing to see the different things that they're trying out there. You know, I got to try a couple of blueberry blondes, which were just outstanding. And uh, Moosehead was making all kinds of different Rattlers, which we don't get here. I think I think we can get a um, a grapefruit Rattler at the LCBO. And this is not something, you know, I regularly have. But when I tried it, I was pleasantly surprised that it tasted so great. Uh, Danny, I should take this moment to say that go check out Waterloo Brewing because they have wa- Rattlers out the wazoo in a million okay. different flavors. I think for them, uh, the Rattlers might, I th- you know, Rattlers technically should be juice cut with beer, and that's what a proper Rattler should be. I, I think that Waterloo Brewing's, depending on which flavors they are, some of them are a concentrate or a flavor, but there's a lot of different ones out there. And of course, you can always make your own Rattler. Like I said, all you have to do <laughs> is mix some beer with some juice. Have you guys ever had uh, beer in Clamato? That's a pretty popular... uh, I don't know if tomato juice counts as juice for Radler if it needs to be sweet, but that's definitely a prairie concoction that uh, I enjoy on a a hot summer day. I've been drinking Bloody Marys, but I'm struggling with the notion of uh, beer and 
Clamato or tomato juice, but you know what? I might have tried once. Maybe just to wrap up the segment, we will do a quick ode to all of our different f- favorite beers, or maybe I should predict what Andre and Danny's favorite beers are, and it's probably some super light Czech lager. Collective Arts <laughs> Audiovisual Lager is still the beer of choice at the uh, Peru Varenkevich Hacienda. Yeah, I'm of the, uh, yeah, like a steam whistle uh, or a Cremor or a lager shed is actually uh, quite good. What about you, Maroki? I'm. I, I feel, oh, I feel like I need to like get you guys on some new train. Even though I have been loving my lagers and you can't really turn me away from that this summer. I'm, you know, Jordan C. John talked about Blood Brothers. They put out a Napa, like a New England IPA that I thought was really, really delicious. And I think, I would still drink it on a hot summer day. All right. Well, here we are at the end of this week's Tasting Together. We're trying to put together something special for Canada Day next week. It may be a holiday, but Maroki and I will be working tirelessly as always. So make sure you keep the dial locked to 640 Toronto every Saturday at 5 o'clock for Tasting Together. Tune in and get hungry on Canada Day next week. Chat soon.